everybody. Welcome back to Hitting the Mark. My name is Ray Carr, along with Cindy Verblin, and we're talking about Steve Allen with Jeffrey Mark. In what way do you think Steve Allen changed informed talk shows? I think he created really the talk show. Everything before Steve, I, I don't want to keep repeating myself, came from a script. If it sounded like someone was interviewing someone else at home, please know that in the studio, they were reading from a script. Nothing was spontaneous. Steve didn't use scripts. Steve wrote his own material. If something hit him as funny, he'd say it. If something hit him as funny, but he could save it, he'd write it down and then say it a little bit later. And he got he was a wonderful straight man for other funny people because he saw the funny side of things to, to give them the confidence to also be funny and witty and honest and be who they were. And uh, this caught the ear of CBS and CBS took him from Los Angeles to New York and gave him a television show. And in the doing of that, he lost his writers, who were Bob Carroll Jr. and Madeline Pugh, who went from his show to a thing called My Favorite Husband and began writing for Lucille Ball, and were two of the three original I Love Lucy writers. Wow. So he did have writers eventually because he was doing a show every day, and nobody's that funny. Everybody needs help coming up with humor on a daily basis. Sure, sure. Went to New York and uh, he was a success there. So successful that there was a, a wonderful game show panel show called What's My Line? Mm -hmm. Where four celebrities are trying to guess the occupation of somebody yeah. by asking them yes and no questions that can be answered yes or no. And Steve joined the panel, which made him even more famous. And CBS dropped Meadows his... a guest, I think, right? I'm sorry? Wasn't Jane Meadows a guest at one point on that? Oh, a couple of times. Yeah. That's how they met. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. No, Steve was married. And by the time he went to New York, he went to New York without his wife and children. They separated. Steve joined What's My Line as a regular panelist. And then NBC decided they wanted him to do a local New York City show at night, similar to what he'd done on radio in Los Angeles. And the show was a smash, so much of a smash. And here's where uh, gossip and reality and wish fulfillment kind of all converged on how this happened. There was a man working for NBC, Mr. Weaver, who had invented the Today Show had invented an afternoon show for Arlene Francis called Home, and he wanted to invent an evening show called Tonight. And the local NBC Steve Allen show became the Tonight Show. And he was on from 11.15 at night till one o'clock in the morning. So a very long time to be on the air, yeah. live, five days a week. Whew. Why 11.15, uh, Jeffrey? 
Because in those days, there was no news program that was longer than 15 minutes. Most local news, they gave you five minutes of news with a commercial, five minutes of weather with a commercial, five minutes of sports, and then they were done for the day. They either went off the air or they played an old movie from the 20s and 30s. What he was giving them, what tonight was giving them, was new material, something current and happening right now in front of your eyes. And Steve was the very first host of tonight. Uh, the show was not exactly how we see it, in that uh, although the couch was there, the desk was there, a lot more of the time was spent behind the piano. Mm. A lot more of the time was spent on sketches. A little less interviewee, a little more variety. Mm -hmm. And he was such a smash on The Tonight Show that NBC gave Steve his own hour-long variety series. And uh, now he was doing shows from 11.15 to 1 o'clock in the morning, five days a week, plus a one-hour live variety show every week. And it got to be a bit much, and Steve left The Tonight Show. Uh, so that's that's why he he is the creator of that kind of show. It was Mr. Weaver's idea to have that kind of show, but really Steve and the next man, Jack Parr, between the two of them, they invented all of what we see as far as talk shows go. There's not been much much new created since then. You know, I think there was some. Yeah, you're right, and I think that really developed into the um, you know. Um, Mike Douglas show. That was another one of my favorites. And um, Merv Griffin. Merv, well, of course, Merv Griffin. He was fantastic. You know, mm -hmm. and it's. Um, it, seemed, it seemed in the 1960s and early 70s, almost everybody got a shot at hosting some kind of a talk show. Right. Singers were hosting them, comedians were hosting them, actors were hosting them, character actors were hosting them, producers were hosting them so much so that people got tired of the format and then for a while there was only the tonight show that always seemed to last right. everything else came and went uh, and of course a great deal of credit has to be given to johnny carson who was brilliant at it yeah, see, that's, interesting because, that's interesting because it steve allen and jack parr were the ones that basically invented everything about it but carson is the one people remember for it more well, than Thing. Because Steve's show was done live, he only did it for about three years before he left. Jack Parr's show was done on videotape, which most of which were erased. Mm. And he did it for about four and a half years. Johnny came on and did it for 30 years. And in the 1970s began rerunning the shows. So whether you saw it new at night or you were watching a recycled version of something old, his programming was available constantly. With the original people, you had to go to a museum to see what they had done. Now you can buy a lot of this stuff on DVD or get it from a platform electronically. Yeah. But back then, uh, you couldn't do that. Yeah. So Johnny is the one everybody remembers. Yeah. Johnny had a good right-hand man. He had Ed McMahon. Mm -hmm. And he had Dr. a great band leader. Steve Allen had tremendous right-hand people. Gene Rayburn was his announcer yeah, he was in the great. match game. Right. Good. 
and Skitch Henderson was the band leader. Yeah. And he had Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet as singers. Oh, he wow. Had, he had Bill Dana, Don Knotts, Pat Harrington, Tom Poston, Louie Nye, and later Dayton Allen and Tim Conway as his comedy foils. Wow. Steve recognized talent and did what he could. If he thought somebody had talent, he would do what he could for you to make sure that you were seen, taken seriously, and given a platform to either be funny or to sing or to do both. He was very, very generous that way with all the people I've mentioned and with me. And interestingly, at least to me anyway, most of the folks I just mentioned also mentored me because of Steve. Uh, I came later, obviously. I'm, I, these people are either all deceased or very, very old at this point. Uh, I came along a different generation, but uh, I regularly had dinner with people like Pat Harrington and Louis Nye and Don Knotts wow. and Tom Poston. We, we all became friends because of Steve, and they helped. They, they helped me become Jeffrey Mark. So, so Steve's input kept rolling forward, and these days I help young people passing it forward. That's great. Jeffrey, let me ask you this question, and this has kind of been on my mind for a while. What about the music entertainment industry in general did Steve hate? What drove him crazy? Hmm. <laughs> um, the A&R people drove him crazy. A&R people, artists represent, it's, it's the people who decided what songs someone would sing on an album or what kind of music, what kind of backup. Um, Steve always wanted to record in a jazz idiom. A lot of people wanted to record Steve's songs. Uh, in case our friends out there who are listening don't know this, Steve wrote hit songs. Uh, Steve wrote The Thing to Picnic. He wrote This is Gonna Be the Start of Something Big. He wrote Gravy Waltz. He wrote a lot of wonderful songs and people wanted to record them. He wanted more control over how they recorded. He wanted to record comedy albums. He wanted more control over how to do that. It is a sad thing about recordings. If you have a hit, yes, it's true, you can make a lot of money if you have more than one. But if all you have is the one hit or the one album, you never see a dime because the record company wants to make money. And they'll charge your account for every paper clip ever going through the studio to keep the money for themselves. A, the sad example I can think of is Frida Payne, who's a friend of mine. Band of Gold. And yet Band of Gold. Frida mm -hmm. has never seen one penny from Band of Gold because they keep charging expenses against the income from the album. Did now, she write it? No, no, she sang it. Oh. Yeah, okay. it was my I know she sang it. I just didn't know she wrote it too. So having sung it, having her name on the song as the singer on her album, propelled her into fame where she was able to make a lot of money and, and live in a beautiful home in the Hollywood Hills and have a career. But not, you know, no actual money from that song. Wow. Sherwood Schwartz created Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch. Mm -hmm. And his, his, one of the best things he said, and one of the first things he said to me to teach me about the business of show business, he said, if you ever create a show, you need two hits. 
one hit that really puts you on the map and the second hit to pay for the lawyers to sue for the money from the first hit. Uh -huh. wow. Yeah, John Wells told us, Sher Sher well, well, we're on podcast, we can say this, that Sherwood Schwartz made like $90,000 for an episode or something and they never saw a penny. Sherwood did not share the profits yeah. from Gilligan's Island with any of the performers. Mm -hmm. By contract, he didn't have to. By union rules, he didn't have to. Uh, the unions put in rules on how actors get paid. And until the early 70s, and then again amended in the later 70s, actors got paid for like three or five reruns, and yeah. that's it. Yeah, and they no never owned a, a piece of the show. Now, yeah. Actors today make a million dollars an episode, and they own part of the show and they're given executive producer credit to get more money that didn't happen back then no act actors were hired hands who were hired for their talents and mm -hmm. your agent negotiated whatever they negotiated for you and that was that it was the very rare person who did a little better a good example since we're talking about steve allen and jane meadows audrey meadows Audrey Meadows was brought in by the Jackie Gleason people as the second Alice Cramden. The first right. Alice Cramden was Pert Kelton, and she was brilliant, and she was the best one. But Pert got caught up in the Red Channel's witch hunt thing, and they were forced to fire her. Jackie was very nice about it. He put out a press release that Pert had heart disease. And needed to take some time off. And they needed an Alice. And Audrey wanted the job. And it's a long story how she got it. But when she got it, she took less money per show if they'd pay her for any reruns that might exist afterwards. And Audrey became very wealthy from that. Let's uh, leave the audience with something that they certainly did not know about Steve Allen. Oh, gosh. I love open-ended questions like that. Uh, Steve was a little henpecked. Uh, he was afraid of Jane. What Jane said went, which you think would be the other way around, because he was the much bigger star. I was in his office one day hanging out with him, just for no reason, just socializing. But he had a, a time crunch. He couldn't talk much longer. And, and his intercom buzzes, and he picks up the phone, and he starts to giggle, like nobody else giggles like Steve Allen did. And he's like falling off the chair. Uh, Steve, what's so funny? He said, well, I guess you're staying another hour. Jane is here. She's not wearing her wig. She hasn't got her makeup. She doesn't want you to see what she looks like. So she's told me you may not leave my office till she leaves the building. So <laughs> want some more coffee? So the man was a little henpecked. Wow. Well, he's been gone for over 20 years now. It's hard to believe. It broke my heart. I, I interviewed him for the very last time on camera for a documentary I was making about Lucille Ball. And while the crew was taking everything down, he said, Jeff, you write lyrics to songs. I said, yeah, I'm a member of ASCAP. He said, I've got a hundred songs that I've written the tunes that they've never been put to words. Let me send you the hundred. Pull out 10 that you like. Well, let's make an album. Let's, let's do a 10 song album. Let's do that. I said, Steve, how much do I have to pay you to do that? He died five days later. 
it never happened. That that's one of the heartbreaks of my life. That uh, what a wonderful thing to what it would have been to work with him in a musical way, and it just act of God, it never happened. Jane would never send him. I talked to Jane, and she said, Jeff, I don't know which 100 he wanted, and I don't know which 10 he would have approved of, and I don't know if he would have liked your lyrics or not. Without him here to approve everything, I can't make this happen. Uh, the show is hitting the mark. I'm Cindy Verbalin with Ray Carr, and we are talking to Jeffrey Mark about Steve Allen.